welcome to the Southwest Climate Podcast, the May edition. Mike. Hey, Zach. How you doing? I'm good. We're getting so close <laughs> to our the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah, so I was thinking about this today, and I think uh, the four most uh, sought-after words of weather enthusiasts in the Southwest have been said to me countless times already. You know what those four words are? What's the monsoon going to be like? Wait, that's too many words. <laughs> What's the monsoon forecast? Oh, that's even better. Yes, that's actually four words. It's the common conversation piece among my circles too. How many interviews have you gotten so far? I, I gave one this previous week and the headline ended up being something like climatologist predicts that- oh, oh, oh. No, we got to wait. Don't even say. We're going to get to that. We got to make listeners stay tuned. So we're going to. You already know (laughs) what my forecast is, Zach. My forecast is, my forecast, I can make it 10 years out. (laughs) That's true. I do know your forecast, but uh, (laughs) we will talk about the forecast later because as Mike alluded to, we are, we are there. We are on the precipice. The winter's behind us. We just have the the doom season uh, to suffer through the, the 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 heat season before the monsoon comes, and it wasn't and even that bad. It hasn't been that bad so far, which we'll also talk about. So yeah, Mike, this is I'm I'm, I'm happy we have a lot to talk about today. I'm happy that we get a chance to to connect, and I'm also really excited about the next three months or the next four months. And uh, you know, hopefully, unlike last year, you won't be screaming at the at the skies for some rain. All right, so just a little bit about the outline for today. We want to sort of revisit the last 30 days, not a ton there, but like I I mentioned, we're sort of in that ramping up the heat season ramping up. So we'll talk a little bit about the temperatures. There was a little bit of rainfall to note. Um, So we'll go over the last 30 days and then we'll do a deeper dive uh, into the monsoon, talk a little bit about this time last year and how it differs from where we are right now. And yeah, anticipate the monsoon with the monsoon forecast is how we'll, we'll end it. We might dive in a little bit to, you know, fire or water if, uh, if time permits. What do you think, Mike? Sounds great, Zach. Thanks for Anything being organized. Else? Okay, Mike. So um, as uh, we expect at this time of year, there's not much weather in terms of rainfall to talk about. But there was a little bit in the northern parts of the southwest, northern Arizona, northern New Mexico, Maybe take us through, if you can, what happened in the last 30 days in terms of the uh, synoptic sort of weather patterns. A a lot of things can happen weather-wise in this transition season. So, you know, we would consider, and we've talked about this for years now, but kind of April, May, and June, you're shifting from your winter weather pattern where you've got a lot of these mid-latitude storms coming off the Pacific Ocean, and the whole jet stream is, you know, it's kind of, you know, wandering around the Western U.S., and some winters, like La Nina winters, that storm track will park north of us and will leave us dry. Maybe it'll dip off to the east and you know bring cold weather to the eastern U.S. And so we saw a lot of that earlier this winter. We had a La Nina winter. We did not have a lot of those precip events. But the, but the overall jet stream kind of hung around kind of mid part of the western U.S. So we didn't have a lot of really hot temperatures through the winter. It's quite moderate since November, December, January, it was, it was warmer in the fall, but we get all the way through into this uh, winter spring period and the temps we've had a couple of runs of, of hot days, but overall temps have been kind of near average. 
So April, May, June, this period has been very windy. We've had a lot of these storm systems continuing to drop down the West Coast and move through the Southwest. Sometimes they'll just kind of move across the northern part of uh, Arizona, New Mexico. Sometimes they'll drop down on the east side of New Mexico and then give them precipitation and, and you know, cooler temperatures. And so just in the last 30 days, same pattern, lots of weather systems moving across. We have not had strong ridging, which would give us those, those strong heat spells for any length of time. They've been kind of beat, beat back. And a couple of those events, you know, brought some precip to the northern part of the state and um, eastern New Mexico. And this actually extends up into Colorado, too, has been pretty wet, actually. And they've had they've had a pretty strong rally in spring precip basically east of Albuquerque. And you're kind of in the Great Plains part of New Mexico. And they, they've had some some pretty good precipitation in the last 30 days. Yeah, I was paying attention to Colorado and particularly the San Juan Mountains. And I believe mid-May they got quite a bit of actual snowfall up there, which is really helpful for um, the sort of really low streamflow projections for the spring and in the summer. So yeah, they, they, the, I think the San Juans, more than a, an inch and a half of snow water equivalent, so more than a foot of snow uh, fell in, in parts of that. So that was really nice. And yeah, you mentioned Mike, the sort of Northern areas of, of Arizona also experienced some rainfall. And I'm looking at Flagstaff, the, the station at uh, the Flagstaff Airport, Pullman Airport. Uh, right at the end of May, a little bit of rain fell, let's say, I don't have the exact date, but probably like, what, April 27th, somewhere around there, April 26th, something like a half an inch. And then also sort of mid-May as well, there was another a little bit more. And uh, helped a little bit, you know, Flagstaff for the for the winter, as we've talked about uh, ad nauseum, literally, you know, is is coming in at below average, as is all of the other. Well, I, I won't say all because I haven't looked at all of them, but uh, if not all, a large fraction of 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 the stations in Arizona are below average. May is not the month that you expect to see much of any <laughs> precip. The fact that we've had any in this kind of you know, run of 18 months now of record, you know, hot, record hot, if we go back to last summer and then record dry, if we look at the whole 18 months, the fact that we've had any precip and, and like you're looking at, looking at some observations around Flagstaff, yeah, anywhere from like half inch to a little over an inch of precip in the last 30 days total. And you'll see that in kind of an arc from even the Northwest part of the state through the uh, Flagstaff and then reaches over into parts of the, the East Central part of the state. And you know, not typical. So in real short-term drought conditions, that bumps up some of those drought indices. But then if you look at the longer window, it's not enough to make a huge dent. Probably what it's been helpful with is just taking a little bit of an edge off of some of the fire danger that we would have expected to see if, you know, like some of the Mays have passed. Like if we would have had last May repeat with those really hot temperatures the fire situation I think would be even worse. And it's, it's not great right now. I mean, the fire danger is still really high, but having those, if, if we didn't have this more recent precip and we didn't have these cooler systems kind of taking the edge off the fire danger, we'd be in a really, really bad spot. And if we're, if we're thinking about the climatology, the Northern areas are, are wetter at this time of year in May, even if they are, even if it's not that much rain, it's, 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 it's more rain than we get as you move further South in Arizona, New Mexico. That's right. New Mexico kind of continental divide east and especially the Great Plains, they actually do 
have more of a springtime maximum. So they can get quite a bit of precip in May, April, May. And then we have our, you know, we typically dry out sort of March into April. Climatologically, like the southern part of the state bottoms out right at the end of May, beginning of June. And that reaches further north too. So earlier in May, you have usually a better risk of precipitation just from those, those trailing winter storms. And then they tend to lift north by the end of the month. And so as you get into the beginning of June, you're in that real core part of the whole Southwest drying out. And then you're really looking to the South for the building of the monsoon. Yeah. And you also alluded to the temperatures and, and they have been, <laughs> even in the last 14 days, they've been actually uh, below average for most of the most of Arizona and, 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 and Western New Mexico, which has been kind of pleasant. And it's been super pleasant, man. <laughs> I, mean, I can't even call it the doom season this year because I'm just, it, it's not bothering me, not bothering me much at all. You know, one of the things that we track here is the number of days of hundred degree temperatures or above. And, you know, last year we were tracking this because it was, it ended up in Phoenix and ended up becoming the, the highest number, actually both in Phoenix and Tucson it was the highest number of days uh, above hundred degrees or hundred degrees or above. We got to get a shout out to Paul up at the weather service in Phoenix for pulling that data together. Yeah, that's right. Paul did, did great, uh, great work. And I'm looking at Paul's plots right now. Um, and just to, I don't know. I mean, I don't really want to relive last year, but um, we ended last year with in Tucson with 68 days total of 100 degrees Fahrenheit or, or above, and I think that was like, no, sorry, I, I, I that's 68 is the average. That sounded low. <laughs> yeah, 108 was what we had yeah. last year, and the next highest, it was like nine, eight or nine days more than the the, the previous high in Phoenix last year was 145 days uh, with the average being 111. So, right. And um, and, you know, there's, there's a special pathway to get to that number too. You have to, you have to start early in the spring and you have to have the monsoon not show up like that. Yeah. You got to kill the monsoon to get that number of days. And so that's why you just won't see that every year. I don't, I hope, I don't think. And that's a good point. Um, And so just looking at Tucson, Last year we did start early. So the first day was like right before it was, it was the end of April. Yep. We've only had one day so far. Uh, and that was, oh, it was, mi- it was mid-May. I, I don't have the specific date, but only one day so far. Last year at this time, we probably had around, let's see, we had nine uh, last year at this time. By my calculations, these aren't official, but we've only had two record highs this whole spring too. Mm-hmm. We, had, we had one in early March where we reached up just about to 90. And then we had one in early April where we reached a little bit above 90. But since then we've been, we've had runs of above average days, but not breaking any records. So you mentioned this before you, you said, you know, we haven't had the, the, the ridge build in and really create those conditions for really hot, hot, hot outbreaks. What, what's driving that? Do you, do you know? No, <laughs> I, don't, I have no, I mean, it's something upstream, right? It's weather. Probably. <laughs> sometimes like I always want to know the reason for things, but sometimes in weather, it's like, yeah, it's just like, it's weather. It's like, it's like stochastic. It's like, it's, it's hard to actually figure out what's driving, what's driving what. What would be the usual suspects? It would be, and it's what we normally point to, right? For seasonal forecasting. You know, we kind of look 
backwards at some kind of like, is there some slow moving phenomenon that's creating a certain pattern to persist in, you know, La Nina, La Nina is neutral right now. And that was, that was the biggest player. And, you know, it could be the Madden Julian oscillation has been active. So maybe that's, that's part of some of the wave train, but it's been, it's been, if you look at the, the weather pattern of the last 30 days, pretty progressive troughs sort of moving through. We had a couple of closed lows and even cutoffs, which are not uncommon for this time of year. And if they wander slowly, you can have runs of days where it's cooler than average and it can even draw precip into the Southwest. And we did have, we had an event like that too. So it's, it's doesn't look that weird. Um, and it's just a welcome respite from May's like last year. And we've had previous May's like that too, where it just, the ridge builds in, it's super hot and you're just baking all the way through end of May into June and then waiting for the monsoon. Right. So, so in other words, it would be, maybe the mechanism would be uh, for, for many days of, or for outbreaks of, of really warm conditions, persistently warm conditions, would be that jet stream doesn't have its, its trough digging as, as, as deep south, um, as far south. So it's maybe more, maybe there's few of the waves, right? Or that they're not moving as, as quickly and or um, it's the, the, the troughs are just further north. So it's whatever yeah. is it's whatever is causing those conditions to, to to happen. Yeah, I think earlier earlier in the season you have to have an upstream trough, like a strong trough in the East Pacific to force a downstream ridge. And if that trough is persistent, the ridge is persistent, and then that can lead to that those warm conditions. And as you progress through May into June, the whole northern hemisphere is warming up, so the whole jet stream is lifting north. And by the end, by the middle part of June into the later part of June, you end up having most of those dynamics really far north. And you're usually into a broad ridge across the continental U.S. just because of land surface heating. And the cool, the cool Pacific has sort of a, a, you know, a thermodynamic trough across it. And we're warmer, so we have a ridge across us. And so that's kind of the climatological pattern. And then if you get anything like noisy upstream where you're sending waves they're propagating, you know, through the jet stream into the Western U S that can kind of, that's the weather kind of part of this. And it can move all, some of those things around. So it kind of begs the question then of like what the, what the hemispheric temperature pattern is, has, has been like, right. And outside of just like sort of our nook in the world, like if the, if the con- continent is warming up at a faster rate, then it's, 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 it's going to the, the jet stream itself would, probably be retracted further north uh, sooner. And is that more or less? That's the, the kind of simple indication in the climate models is the, the temperature gradient from north to south moves north, right? And mm-hmm. so that you, you're, you have more weaker summertime circulations across the mid-latitudes than you would in the past because you have less cold air driving that temperature gradient. I think it's more complicated than that. And the models are picking up on different things. Mm-hmm. And it's also, this kind of feeds into the wavy jet stream thing too, which we should talk about in a future podcast, because you sent us, sent that paper up too, that it's still very controversial. You know, if, you know, Arctic sea ice extent decline is causing changes to the jet stream and you're getting 
camps of papers that say it is and camps of papers say that it isn't. And but that doesn't it doesn't really necessarily have much. I don't think much many implications for the summertime because it's more of a wintertime phenomenon. Did you check what the um, the temperature was like across the U.S.? Like we we talked about it being cooler here in the Southwest, but I'm just wondering if if that's been the the pattern across the United States here. I can pull this up really quickly. It's kind of been cooler than average in the in the South and Southeast. Uh, it's been a mixed bag and then warmer than average over the last month and in, in, in sort of the Midwest and, 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 and West and, and Northeast. So I, I guess like if you were to average this, it's probably pretty darn close to average. So it hasn't been like a the last month hasn't been uh, warmer than average when you when you when you look at the entire U.S. That's always an indication that that the pattern has been on the move and hasn't been persistent. You know, if you get big geographic areas that are all hanging together, kind of north to south, east to west, then that that would that would indicate that you've got some pattern that is not moving much. You know, and then you you may say you're in the cold part of a trough and the warm part of a ridge, but it's been moving pretty progressively across the whole country the last 30 days or so. So it's been, like you're saying, a mixed bag and you've got, you know, like those cool anomalies, it's been very wet and cool in the Southern Great Plains, especially in the last 30 days. And New Mexico has had part of that, that pattern. Um, let me just finish the points on the hundred degree Fahrenheit days. I, I stopped at Tucson, but Phoenix thus far has had seven days. And this time last year, we were at 18 days. And the the average for this time historically in Phoenix is, is, is eight. So we're running hmm, pretty close to average. Uh, Tucson, it's three, and we've, we've only had one. So a little bit, little bit below average in, 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 in that sense. But uh, can turn around really quickly. But we'll take it. Yeah. Uh, because as you, as you mentioned, it's um, – or you were talking about the pre- precipitation in the northern parts of Arizona and New Mexico sort of taking – the, the, the fire, maybe a little bit of the risk away from the, uh, the fire risk, but temperature also plays a role in that too. Although there wasn't much precip to dry out in the first place. So yeah, uh, might yeah. not, might not matter all that much, uh, that we've had a slightly cooler spring. Again, it's one of these said it could have been worse given the current situation. And so I think this little bit of springtime precip for parts of the region and the cooler temperatures is a pretty good outcome you know, given we're in kind of dire drought situation and, you know, really accumulated long-term drought stress that's leading to some of this, this fire danger. So this is, this is helping. We are right now recording before the Memorial Day weekend, which is a human ignition kind of centerpiece in the whole fire season for the Southwest. So I think there's still a lot of nervousness that we could have some big fires and, and we've got, we've got to make it now if everything works out with the monsoon four weeks and we've had big fires erupt right this time of year and burn very quickly, large acreage, very destructive, you know, between now and July 1st. That's right. And, you know, we always talk about this, but um, you know, if the monsoon, you know, the monsoon sort of varies by a week or, or 10 days, like um, in terms of its, it's, it's, it's onset, you know, and those, that can be, it doesn't sound like a lot, but in terms of fire, like a week is critical. It's an extra, yeah, extra seven days for, for landscapes to burn or to, to, to start. And if the monsoon, you know, doesn't deliver in the, in the particular place where the, the fire is or around the fire, then, um, you know, it can, it can go for a while. So 
Yeah. And we get into that messy part of the season too, where we, we go from, you know, human ignitions primarily to lightning ignitions, which can be kind of common across the Southwest and kind of mid June, even because we're getting buildups, we're getting a little bit of that early season moisture. We don't have any rain yet. And since the landscape is so parched and a lot of these, you know, if you get lightning strikes on dry trees, it's really different than on wet trees. And so, you know, they tend to turn into fires more readily. Yeah. So that's a good segue into just thinking about where we are now and then maybe in relation to last year. Uh, and we're in two very different places and hopefully we also have two very different outcomes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, you know, at the end of April last year, we had just come off like basically a winter season where we, we uh, for the most part of the Southwest, that when you look at an, an indice that combines both precipitation and temperature, sort of an aridity in, index, we were in, uh, let's say, above average conditions uh, for, for that. Whereas this year, it's not right around average. It's, it's, it's much below average, uh, obviously, from uh, driven mostly by the, the, the rainfall, or at least in large part by the, the, the low rainfall. So in terms of rainfall and temperature combined, just looking over the last six months, it's a much different situation. And then when you compare those two years and you look at the last 12 months, so taking not only the last winter, but the, the, the monsoon before that into account, it's e even a worse picture now than in comparison to, to last year. Yeah, obviously, because last year's uh, monsoon was was terrible, and this and this winter was, was was terrible as well. So, in terms of those two metrics, boy, Mike, it's kind of like we really need the monsoon. I think in terms of drought, in terms of fire, in terms of everybody's sort of, including your mental psyche, uh, to really deliver it. And and honestly, it's like sending to the to the batter's plate your number seven hitter. Like, I know it, it's a good, that's a good analogy. It's, it feels like, feels like one of the highest stakes kind of pre-monsoon periods that, you know, I've lived here for 20 some years and, you know, I don't remember, well, I, we haven't seen historic, we can look at the data and this hasn't happened in, in the historical record anyways. And especially that convergence of the, you know, you got that climate change signal on the temperatures last year, you know, the, the monsoon not showing up, this extended you know, co-occurring with a La Nina winter the following is just like a, it's like a, a cascade of terrible climate things happening in the Southwest all at once. And so then it leads us to, like you're saying, like what happens next is pretty high stakes. Right. And so I was trying to, I was like, okay, well, some, what are some of the things that we might think about to think about what the monsoon may look like this year? Right. And, and, and again, in this sort of comparison framework. And so one of them is is the snowpack conditions, which again, we've talked about before, and it has sort of like a weak relationship with the onset of the monsoon. But looking at snowpack conditions uh, around the West, particularly uh, to our North and Northeast, it's not much different last year than, than, than this year, quite frankly. And um, so I'm not sure that there's any, there's much difference there that we can um, sort of draw on that, 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 that might tip the the balance one way or the other. And then I was, I also looked at sort of what ENSO looked like last year and we were uh, coming out of a borderline El Nino last year. And at this time, temperatures in the Pacific ocean were still slightly uh, above average. Uh, whereas this year we're coming out of a, a La Nina and, and temperatures are slightly below average. There's not really, there's not much difference um, between last year and this year, this year in terms of the, the temperature anomaly 
One's above average and below average, but they're they're still pretty 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 close to each other. So I'm not sure um, if there's much there we can also uh, draw on. I don't know if you have any have any different thoughts. No, I mean I was trying to look for anything I could latch onto with respect to you know anything kind of larger scale forcings, and we're we're back into neutral conditions, and that doesn't. I mean, there's not, there's not any systematic long-term, you know, relationship with monsoon start or, you know, the timing of monsoon start or the vigorousness of July precipitation or total seasonal precipitation with neutral conditions. And it's only when you get into sort of subsets of La Nina or El Nino years, you do start to see a little, but a weak correlation emerge with, you know, the timing of the onset of the monsoon. So we're, we're, we're really grasping at straws right now. And we end up looking at the seasonal dynamical models very, very carefully and closely to see if we can kind of see anything consistent come out of them. And there just really isn't anything there. Yeah. Before we get there, cause I do want to unpack that a little bit. Can we rely on June? Ah, no. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in New Mexico on the Great Plains side, you got a much better chance because it's more in your climatology, but Western Obviously. New Mexico and Arizona we can't rely on June, but I, I did want to go back and look at what average statistics look like for Tucson, Phoenix, Flagstaff, Albuquerque, and, and, and um, Las Cruces in terms of June. So I'll just throw, throw some numbers out. Uh, for Tucson, it's actually quite interesting. The maximum, and so I was only looking at the period from 1960 onwards. The maximum amount, Mike, it was actually higher than I thought in June, but 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 this is there's a caveat here because June also covers the the early onset of the monsoon period, and so I didn't like dive into the actual years and, and yeah. when the rain comes. So this is most of the rainfall is likely coming in the latter half of of of, of June. But uh, take a guess. What do you think the maximum amount of rainfall is in, at the Tucson Airport over that eighty year period or sixty year period? I kind of cheated because I looked at some of this data, but it's over an inch and a half. Yep. Yep. You did cheat. It's the actual number. (laughs) Uh, 1.6 inches. Yeah. Yep. Uh, And that was, that was actually recent 2016. Also though, uh, a fair number, about a quarter of those 60 years. So a little bit more than a quarter, 17 of those 60 years had zero rainfall. So uh, it's not, it's, it's pretty common. If, if you will. Okay. Wait, did you say 17 of 60? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's much lower than I thought. I thought it was like, I thought there'd be more zero. So that's actually interesting. That's really, I mean, it, it's all interesting. It's not actually interesting now, but yes. um, I, I thought that was lower too. Um, lower too. And so I looked at just the last 10 years, 11 years actually. And you know, only four, four of the last 11 years had, had zero. So Last year, I mean, it's basically a zero. It was 0.05 inches. 2019 was zero. 2018 was close to an inch. 2017 was zero. 2016 was 1.6 inches. 2015 was a little over half an inch. Um, 2013, 14 were, were, were uh, basically zero. 2013 had a trace amount. And 2012 had a third of an inch. So. It's really interesting. Yeah. And what, and what's the median? The median, the median is 0.05 inches. So, okay. yeah, I mean, low amounts, but you can get 
2016. Do you remember 2016? Was that, I think Ben brought this up. Was that Hurricane Bud or not? I think uh, it, Tropical Storm Bud? Yeah, I think it was. I think, you know, that was in, we had a run of years where we had the East Pacific was warm and we had pretty active East Pacific seas. You know, it was impacting us in the early part of the monsoon and also the late part of the monsoon. And it, it really boosted some of the seasonal totals. And then last year, right, we had the too soon. There was, an, a, there was a, a, a series of days, I think, in early June that felt like the monsoon, right? You remember that? Yes, that's right. That's right. And it, yeah, it was such a fake out for the rest of the summer, too. Something it was right at the happened. beginning of the month. Yeah, it was in the beginning. And I, I believe we got some precipitation. Again, I was just rattling off data from, from the airport, which, you know, it's just one point in a... Right. Yeah, so uh, let me just do a few others really quickly. Phoenix, more than half the days, 39 out of 60 had had zeros. But it also had a max of, of actually more than, than Tucson, 1.7, and that was in 1972. Um, so that's pretty substantial. Flagstaff get, gets more rain than, than obviously than Tucson and Phoenix, um, has about a sixth, a fifth of the days 20% of the days with, 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 or 20% of the Junes with no rainfall. So yeah, June can happen. Likely if it does, it's a harbinger or an indication of the early onset of the monsoon. Um, but you know, there's these rogue storms that, 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 that do happen and uh, we'll take it, but we, we can't count on it at all. And I think the listeners will obviously know that. So yeah, and it, and it just like you said, Zach, it's kind of a noisy month because you can get precip even in the later part of the month. That's not necessarily the onset of the monsoon. It can be kind of like it can still be some of the storm activity from mid latitude storms. And I I think that's what I remember last June. Zach was like right after Memorial Day, beginning of June. It was sort of a deep trough that was off the California coast, like pushed up a bunch of early season moisture and it felt, you know, it's like you got real humid, but it was, it was part of that storm track that messed with us the entire summer and really ruined the kind of the establishment of the persistent monsoon Ridge. So it, and again, it's not like if it happens in June, it doesn't necessarily mean it'll stick around last, last summer was kind of a really weird special exception. I think. All right. Before we talk more about what we think the monsoon is going to look like or what we hope the monsoon will look like. You know, I've kind of had one eye basically through Twitter on like the fire situation here because, you know, we've talked about this throughout the winter that, you know, with the low rainfall conditions that fire risk will, will, will be on the upswing. And it is, it's, it's by all accounts, it's above average fire risk. Uh, but I haven't noticed a ton of fire activity. And I know there's been a few, Mike, and you spend more time in this community talking with people. And, and, and what are you hearing about the fire risk? And are you surprised at all that there, there isn't more activity? I've been surprised that some of the fires haven't taken off and gotten bigger than, than they actually ended up being with the wind. We had some, you know, we've had some really strong wind events. And some of these fires are occurring during, during wind events. And so I think that the, the response has been pretty amazing. Like the different firefighting agencies have been like on stuff like right away and they're getting air support. 
uh, to these fires really, really quickly. You know, you're hearing about fires occurring and within an hour, there's a very large tanker, you know, hitting these fires. So I think that there was, you know, like there's extreme readiness down here. A lot of the fires have been kind of lower elevation and burning through dry grasses and have been, you know, a lot of them been caused by like car fires. So there's been kind of that, that aspect. There was a fire in Baghdad, Arizona. It was really pretty tragic. It started on the south side of town and ended up burning through dry brush and burned 13 houses down, you know, so that's, that was very, it's very destructive. Like we don't have a lot of fires like that, where it burns down parts of towns. So that, that, that really stands out, I think, as, you know, a real impact of this particular fire season. And thankfully we haven't had any of the higher elevation, heavy fuel, heavy timber fires that have burned through, you know, like the wallow or um, some, any of the, the, the bigger ones. So that, that to me is good. Maybe the weather has really helped the recent precip of the last 30 days. Maybe that's, you know, helped with some of these higher elevations, take the edge off a little bit. Given a situation, this is probably a question that doesn't have a definitive answer, but I'm just curious, like, so yeah, we, we had a few events that maybe dropped, let's say a, a half an inch of rainfall, but given how dry it was, and then that, you know, it's short lived, like, how much does that really damp the, the fire risk? Are we talking like, you know, maybe it suppresses it a, a few percentage points, a couple days, and then it's right back to where it was. I mean, any, any way to sort of like think about the impact of like just a small event? And I'm a little out of my lane. I used to know more about this and I, I may misspeak slightly, but I, th- I think conceptually this is close, is that there are fuel models that fire meteorologists and fire managers use that are like, there's 10 hour fuels, hundred hour fuels and thousand hour fuels. And so like 10 hour fuels are very, very fine. And like small, like, like shrubs and grasses, grasses, right. Things so, that dry out in 10 hours. Exactly. Right. And so you've got these response times. And so heavier fuels take longer to wet up and they take longer to dry down. So it's, it's basically, they're like, kind of like climate time scales. And so those fine fuels can very quickly become very flammable and very quickly become lose their flammability, but then return. And so you can have these events that in the very short term reduce the fire risk, but then it can jump back up again. And so I think knowing that it doesn't take much for us to heat up, get windy in June and have that fire risk return, even in the heavier fuels, because they've, and it's also has to do with live fuels versus dead fuels. And so if you kill off a lot of trees with drought conditions, which there's now, there's been a lot of mortality in pinion juniper. There's now new standing dead fuels, which doesn't have the, its own fuel moisture associated with it. So, so there's a subtle, I think kind of background dynamic that if you can keep the relative humidity high, keep the temps a little bit lower, which they're related, and then have some precip kind of come through, it really does. And you're just trying to, you're just trying to cut the time between now and the onset of the monsoon moisture. It doesn't even have to rain necessarily. That'd be helpful. But even the humidity coming up later in the month can help reduce the fire risk. So, you know, any, if we can get through week by week by week, get close to the monsoon, then we close that window. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, just like a small atmospheric or environmental condition change could have a, a relatively larger impact on fire potential. You know, they're not, they're not one-to-one in other words. That's right. 
Yep. They're not one-to-one and they're, they're nonlinear and they're, they're pretty dynamic through time. And, you know, wind can override in some situations and then heat can override in other situations. So it's kind of this interplay and, you know, you're looking for the monsoon Ridge to kind of build North to bring us into that. So to get to the moisture on the other side, you actually have to go through this period of real fire danger on the way there. You know, it's hard to shortcut it. That's right. That's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. You actually have to go through the gauntlet. Um, yeah, exactly. You've got to run the, to the ridge the, gauntlet to come out the other side. Yep. Um, yeah. I guess you just don't, you just don't, you want to do it for a short time as possible. And, and I, you know, the monsoon ridge, I mean, it can, it can, it's not like a, a thing that takes a certain amount of time to, to ramp up, right? Like there's, it can evolve pretty quickly or, or, or slower. So yeah, you know, and that was, there's always this concern when you watch the weather in May and even into early June, where you're not seeing the ridge build. And I, I kind of, I had this thinking many years ago, but then we've been through enough springs where it turns on a dime that you can go from this kind of cool spring pattern into a month, a pretty persistent monsoon ridge at the end of June, very, very quickly. And it doesn't, you know, what happened earlier in the month doesn't necessarily portend doom, you know, for the beginning of the monsoon, but we've also had springs where that pattern did linger and it did mess with it. So it's, it doesn't have a lot of, you know, forecastability, I think. So that raises a question. Does the climate prediction center forecast portend doom? I'm doing a lot of good teasing today. I think. It is. You really are. Had like a commercial yeah. after this break. <laughs> <laughs> so what's our, what's our official forecast, Mike? Well, the official forecast for the Southwest right now for July, August, September is, so this was issued on May 20th. So the July, August, September climate prediction center precipitation outlook is the Eastern half of Arizona and all of New Mexico is has a a slight lean towards below average total seasonal precipitation. It's the lightest shade of brown that they have on the map to indicate a I don't slight even look lean. At the no, I, well, I mean I don't even look at the numbers because I, I we don't need to get into the nuances of of them, but they are uh, shifting probabilities between three categories. So, like Mike was saying, it's a slight lean toward below. It's not even below average. These things are hard to communicate. Uh, it's it's right in the bottom tercile. Bottom tercile. So that's why I don't even look at the the numbers. I just look at the 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 signal, which is for below average monsoon rainfall. For, but Mike, should we believe them? Should we believe? All them? right. I don't necessarily have to have any sense of faith associated with it. Yeah. Is it is it useful? I don't think it is particularly useful. The, the forecast has had kind of an interesting journey through the spring is that there was a, oh, and I'm, I'm pulling up the interactive map and the uh, west side of Tucson is in equal chances. So what's equal <laughs> chances, Zach? Equal chances <laughs> in the, is- In the east side where, where you live, it's, uh, it's below? Yes. Oh, that's, so that's the cutoff. That's the, that's the line. Anything is. east of Mike Crimmins's house is is below oh zach you know what it's i10 i'm sorry it's you too <laughs> yeah. it yeah. is you too uh, 
Yeah, well, and, you were and, saying. I think you were going to say something interesting, which is, is a rare occasion. So I want to. I, wanna... <laughs> I don't think it's that interesting, but I, I'm pulling up the interactive map. So the the Climate Prediction Center with these forecasts hasn't hasn't. They have the map. You can just look at the the colors and where they are. But they have an interactive map where you can click on your location and actually see what the forecast probabilities are. So so Zachary, so this is. My son's name Zachary, so I just called you. Basically, I gave you the full, your full title. Um, the <laughs> July August September. My mom. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. That's what it felt like. I felt like I was talking down to you as a, as a dad. <laughs> the July August September seasonal like for Tucson, where I clicked on my house. So the normal precipitation is five point five three inches. The probability of being above normal is thirty three. The probability of near normal is thirty three. The probability of below normal is 34. Yeah, that's there's that, a there's a 1% shift in the odds towards the lower tercile for my house this summer. So that's yeah. that's important for us to I think unpack is that that is not a confident forecast. That right. is a forecast that really doesn't communicate anything other than equal chances. Right. We don't know. We don't yeah. we don't know. I mean, I can click on this for like Albuquerque. So the shift at Albuquerque is a little bit stronger so that it's a shift now from a 30% chance of being above normal to now a 37% chance for being below normal. You can see where the math worked out where they moved some of the, the chance of being above into the, the below and near normal is 33. So, I mean, but so again, that's you, not very strong either. Right. So what do you say in those four interviews when, when people like the four, you know, most sought after most stated words at this time of year is what's the monsoon forecast? Like, what do you say? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I did say, what I said though, is that it's, it's very probable that it'll be better than last summer. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that was actually, great, that's a that, great forecast. That is a great forecast. But, but And again, like, you know, it's certainty, right. It's not a hundred percent forecast either. Right. I mean, there's yeah. nothing to prevent the atmosphere from giving us another one of those monsoons. And the dynamical models are all over the place. They're, they, when you average them up in these multi-model ensembles, you get this kind of dry Great Plains that has been creeping into New Mexico. None of the models are very strong in their anomalies. Like with, you know, like real gusto, they're saying, oh, there's a strong signal. And when you average up a bunch of weak models together, you get a weak forecast with a lot of uncertainty. So again, the, and again, the summer's hard yeah. well, at the seasonal timescale. Yeah. And I think that's the point. That's whenever I get asked a question. I mean, I say the same thing. I, maybe I even say it stronger that if, if anybody tells you they know what the monster is going to do, probably don't believe them. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, because I think it's really hard to forecast the monsoon. And we've talked about this a lot because a, you know, it's it's a it's a phenomenon in our area that is on the basically the northern margins of uh, of the monsoon phenomenon. It's like centered around the Sierra Madre Occidental in, in 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 Mexico, and so that just itself means that it's more subjected to. It doesn't take much for some other influence to affect the monsoon, and, and there's a whole bunch of dynamics associated with it. Wind humidity, temperature, cloud feedbacks, land surface feedbacks. I mean, it's all, it's all wrapped up in a, a really complicated 
uh, system that makes it really hard to, to, to forecast out. Doesn't mean we don't want it. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, yeah. So June is the beginning of the time period where we look South. We're going to watch what happens in Mexico because, you know, that's the beginning of the, you know, the beginning of the subtropical Ridge. They should start seeing thunderstorms. You should start seeing a green up response where there's going to be a land surface feedback that's going to creep North. We're also going to pay attention to the Gulf of California sea surface temperatures because there's a pretty good indication that in some past research that the Gulf of California actually has to warm up to, you know, 88, 90 degrees Fahrenheit to actually start to destabilize and, you know, release some of the, or be able to push some of its moisture into the low-lying atmosphere that can then turn into Gulf surges. That'll be important, you know, throughout the monsoon season in the beginning. And the East Pacific tropical storm season can also be part of the, it can catalyze some of these early season events. And there's, you know, there's already some activity just south of Mexico and you're seeing them kind of spin up on the, the longer forecast. So there's stuff that's kind of falling in line, but again, it's too early to know if it's going to, you know, show up, you know, the, the week of the 20th in June, or if it's going to wait to the later part. And, you know, we're going to be kind of at a wait and see. And, and, we always are. Yeah. And also how they will in some total uh, add up to, yeah. because right. again, we're talking about the entire uh, July, August, and September season. And yeah, there might be periods within that season. You know, I go back to the, I always bring this up, the halcyon days of, I think it was 2017, that, that, that three weeks in July, that was just epic, you know, and that was it, basically it. That 2017, where we and I were just like on cloud nine, it was pretty localized. The whole Southwest didn't see a lot of that activity. And it, like you said, it stopped. <laughs> August and September were very quiet. So it was like, and that's not a bad way to get your monsoon precip. It's better if it's even and you get some later season events uh, as well. But, you know, in a monsoon season, even good monsoon seasons, there are still places that get left behind. And that's that's fairly common unless we have the big soaker events associated with large organized activity, you know, related tropical storms or, or big easterly waves. But in kind of the the normal sort of isolated convection and thunderstorms, there are going to be locations, even if we hit average across the region, there'll be spots that don't get the precip. And that's a rough stretch then to have summer on summer with this winter in between, you know, so we, this monsoon needs to overperform to really heal up some of the, the damage that's accrued in the short term. You know, you, you gave the, the, the CPC's forecast. I mean, they, they generate that by looking at a bunch of information, including a number of different climate models. It's, it's not based on any one tool. It's based on a number of tools. It's an expert system, right? So it's a forecaster who's assimilating, synthesizing, and interpreting statistical and dynamical models. And they're right. in a tough spot with the monsoon first off. And then in a situation where there's weak sea surface temperature forcing, the, the models really don't have much to grab onto. So one of their tools, the modeling, the dynamical modeling tools, you know, I'm looking at right now, and there's a number of, there's seven different, uh, six different models that go into, that they sort of collapse into, into one. If you look at just individually, those models, uh, I always look toward the sort of Sierra Madre Occidental just to see what the signal looks like there. And, you know, it's a mixed bag. 
um, there's some of the models that are showing a wetter signal and some of the models that are showing the drier signal. And the only thing that I take away from this is basically reflected in the, the, the forecast that you talked about, the CPC's forecast, which is that there isn't a clear, clear signal. Um, and I'm not sure that there is ever a case in which all of them are pointing dry or, or pointing wet, but probably there's cases where, you know, four of the six are, and, and, or, or five of the six are. And here it's sort of split. So I think we've got it all on the table, Mike, which, which I'm happy about. Yeah. I mean, it's now a wait and see. <laughs> all right, Mike, what's your forecast? For what? Um, the monsoon. The whole monsoon? Give it to me. I thought we were going to, I was going to block that behind um, my online forecast for fantasy monsoon. Ah, good, good. Good. So you're not going to reveal it. Um, I should I should plug that. So we've been we've been saying this uh, for the last couple uh, podcasts, uh, and I'm going to say it again because we're we're nearing completion of our uh, of our monsoon. We're calling it the Southwest Monsoon Fantasy Forecast. So everybody wants the to know what the forecast is going to be, and this is your this is your chance to actually make the forecast yourself um, and see how well you fare. fare relative to other people who are making the forecast. So we've got this really cool interface um, that we're hopefully going to um, uh, send out in emails and, and, and broadcast um, that allows you to sign in, allows you to make a forecast. You have to make a forecast for the, we're doing it by month. So for, for July, you would make the forecast a week before July one so that you can't actually look and game the system by looking at the, the weather forecast for the seven days. Um, so you have to do it a week before the first of the month and you do it at five cities, uh, Tucson, Phoenix, Flagstaff, uh, Albuquerque and El Paso. And you get points based on how risky your forecast is and how accurate your forecast is. So the riskier forecast, the less likely it'll occur, the more points you can score and then that's scaled by how accurate your forecast actually is. And so you do that for each of the five cities, each of the three months, and um, we'll have this running score leaderboard that'll allow you to see how you're, you're doing relative to other people. And we even got some prizes, some cool weather stations that we're gonna give to the, to the top finishers. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. We'd be really psyched uh, for people to play along. It's just a a way that we think will just a way that we can engage with, with other weather enthusiasts, other people that care about the monsoon and, and yeah, see if like we can, we can beat the, the equal chances that uh, the CPC, um, uh, the CPC forecast climate prediction center. So, so look out for that. We're super excited about that. And so you're not going to reveal your entire forecast, huh? All right. I'll just give you a hint. It's, Somewhere between for Tucson, somewhere between four and six inches. Yes, Ben just named it. That is, that's actually the middle tercile. <laughs> okay, the mid. Okay, you're going with the middle ter. So, so it's going to be better than last year. Yep. I, I hadn't even thought of mine because it, it is relevant because your, what you think the final tally will be is kind of your strategy for how you think the, the months will unfold, but not entirely. I mean, last year, for example by September. I mean, I was bullish in July and I was even bullish in August because I was like, ah, oh, look, it, it can't be this bad and it can't be two, two bad months in a row. 
you know, but by September, I was like, oh, it stinks. Like, I'm going to just do a forecast of per, uh, persistence. Every corner was a surprise last summer. <laughs> like that whole idea that it, it just can't continue to be as bad as it was, was like, it was just, it was unbelievable, quite honestly. So Mike, I also wanted just to prelude maybe something that we should talk about one of these upcoming, maybe the August podcast. People have probably seen, there's been a number of articles talking about the water situation and the, the water levels in, in Lake Mead are forecasted to, to be below a particular elevation that actually triggers water conservation that's, that's built into um, this seven basin in Mexico agreement, this, this interbasin interstate water agreement. And, and they're also, in addition to that, they're also, um, I think, negotiating more water, how to deal with, with, with drought going forward. So the water situation, Mike, it's, it's, a, it's a, an important topic, obviously, in the Southwest. It's also super complicated one that you and I aren't like, we know the big picture, but we don't know the details. But I think it's worth, you know, when the, the Bureau of Reclamation issues their 24-month forecast, which is basically what determines, and they do that in August. They do it every month, but the one in August is particularly important because it what it's what determines enacting the the the, the agreements or it's what triggers the 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 shortage agreements that were negotiated. So the 24-month study that's that's issued on in August is the key one. So I think we should maybe uh, try to unpack that for for, for listeners. If we, if, yeah, and if we I can think our heads around it. Oh man, I, for twenty years I've been trying to understand the water side, and I just like, I just throw up my hands because it's so complex. Um, and even just on the climate side, it's complex just to try to understand all those pieces fit together. But yeah, I'm I'm really interested in trying to understand that a little bit more. And then it'll be interesting to see how the monsoon has evolved and where it's put down precip because we know that you know decent monsoon precip through the monsoon season and into the fall can really help with streamflow runoff in the following spring. And so there's a lot of complexities there that I think I, just, just on the climate side will be kind of interesting to talk about. And then we've got the, uh, there's this specter of a, another La Nina emerging for um, this fall and into next winter, which would, would impact the lower part of the basin probably more um, than it would the Intermountain West and the upper basin. Uh, but again, those, those outlooks are really, really uncertain this time of year because we're in that springtime period. So there's going to be a lot more, there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff through the summer, the basin study, and then this other ENSO uh, element to talk about as well. All right, let's go. I like it. Let's do this. <laughs> All right, Mike. Uh, I, I don't know, any final parting shots? I think I've exhausted my... Uh... My, my ability to communicate right now. <laughs> it is Friday. It's uh, <laughs> beginning of Memorial Day weekend and just everybody be safe. Don't start any fires. And um, we just got to hang in there for a couple more weeks and see how this monsoon starts up. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. And uh, yeah, hopefully the next, our next podcast will drop uh, at the, as rain is falling in the, in the early onset of the monsoon. So let's hope for that. Fantastic. Yeah. Love it. Cheers. Well, all the, the NPR podcasts, they started having people interviewed over Zoom. So it sounded just like everything else. <laughs> it sounded like every meeting I had all day long. the standards. All right, we can edit that one out. <laughs> <laughs> or not. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I had some dark places. <laughs>